Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Manuel or Manuel Esteller. Uh, he's the director. He's part of the uh, Joseph Carreras Bucamus Research Institute. And we're going to talk about uh, cancer epigenetics. So, Manuel, thanks for coming. Hello, pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, uh, tell me about your research. So, our research uh, deals with uh, epigenetics mainly. Epigenetics is the regulation of uh, DNA, RNA, and proteins that at the end determine the activity of the genome. So this is a little bit uh, beyond genetics or the chemical marks that regulate our uh, our DNA uh, and our genes. In this area, our main interest is cancer and in cancer epigenetics. That it's a field that, although it started a little bit in the early 80s, it was not until in the close to the 2000s that finally took full speed and now it's very, very relevant in, in oncology. So in epigenetics, I've heard of uh, methylation. I've heard of histone um, modulation. So what are some of the epigenetic marks that occur? And, you know, what yeah. does it do? Like, what does methylation do? What does a histone modification do? Yeah. So if, if we think uh, in our body, so our brain and our skin, all of them, they have the same DNA sequence, but they're doing different things, different, and they have different features that correspond in cells. And this is not associated to the DNA sequence because, as I said, it's the same. Uh, the chemical marks in DNA, RNA, and proteins is what distinguish and provide different activities to dif different cell types and organs. There are uh, many chemical marks that we call epigenetics. They can, they, they, to be called epigenetics, they, can, they have to be inherited at least in, in mitosis and some of them in meiosis. The main one or the most popular one is DNA methylation. That instead of a C in our DNA, we have a methylated C, methylated cytosine. Usually this is associated with the uh, loss of activity of the underlying DNA sequence. And a second mark are histone modifications. Here we have many, but again, probably the most popular is histone acetylation, the addition of acetyl group to these proteins that we call histone, that they're able to pack DNA and control activity. So uh, summarizing, DNA methylation and histone modifications are probably the most popular and well-studied epigenetic marks. Um, which of them will downregulate the gene more um, so methylation is kind of like a localized, direct downregulation, I guess, that prevents transcription. But histone modification, does that affect a wider range of DNA, a wider area? So what happens here is that many times all these epigenetic marks, they collaborate together to, to silence uh, genes or DNA sequences. Some of them are uh, tighter, the other weaker, some are faster, and some are uh, slower. For example... Uh, DNA methylation is a very stable mark to inactivate uh, a gene. And histone modifications are more dynamic. They change more. 
if we think about uh, memory, me maybe me memory relates to more histomodifications, short memories, but imagine that long-standing memories may can relate to DNA methylation uh, because it's more stable. In cancer, for example, that this is a dynamic process between primary site, metastasis, uh, normal cell transformation. Here, you, you see changes in both of them, and the most stable are DNA methylation changes. But even those are able to change if we change the microenvironment of, of the tumor. So what happens uh, in cancer? What's observed? And at what point do the um, epigenetic marks start to occur on uh, cancer cells? If we just focus for simplification in, in DNA methylation, we can see that this is a, a very early stage molecular lesion. In premalignal uh, tissues, like hyperplasias or adenomas, you can start seeing changes in DNA methylation. Overall, what you see is that uh, cancer cells, they have lost total DNA methylation content. This what creates is chromosomal instability and reactivation of uh, repeats and endoparasitic sequences. But at the same time, this hypomethylation occurs in the context of gaining methylation at very particular sites. And these sites are the promoters of tumor suppressor genes. So uh, in cancer cells, the activity of these anti-oncogenes is uh, not useful because they are not expressed, and many of them are inactivated by DNA methylation. This happens mainly in the promoters that contain what is called CPG islands, that are regions that are very rich in the CPG denucleotide. So cancer actually is an increase in methylation um, of anti-cancer genes. Yeah, so overall there is a loss in the total methylation content, but there is a particular gain at particular regions. Uh, genes that are, uh, are anti-angiogenic, they get silenced by DNA methylation. Genes that usually they prevent the, the entrance in the cell cycle, they get methylated, hypermethylated, and then they cannot prevent that the cells go to cell division. Cells, uh, sorry, genes that are important in in uh, keeping the binding between cells, uh, intercellular binding, they are lost by DNA methylation in the promoters, and then the cells are able to spread out and generate metastasis. All these famous hallmarks of human cancer, defined by, by many authors, all of them they have in a given tumor two, three epigenetic events that lead to transcriptional silencing of genes involved in that particular pathway. So how do epigenetic changes first arise? What kind of uh, molecules or enzymes are responsible for them? What initiates it? Yeah, so in the, in the last, I would say, 10, uh, 15 years, has been uh, produced a very complete characterization of, en of enzymes and different proteins that regulate all this epigenetic setting. So in very easy manner can be divided in uh, writers, readers, and erasers. The writers add the chemical marks, the erasers eliminate these chemical marks, and the readers are uh, proteins that bind to them. There is an um, equilibrium of this in a normal cell. An equilibrium with changes because you have to adapt. Cells have to adapt to changes in the microenvironment. And in cancer cells, there is uh, some imbalance of all these proteins. Uh, this can be DNA methyltransferases, methyl CPG binding domain protein, histone acetylases, chromatin remodeling factors, and this leads uh, to cancer. Some of this is associated with some sporadic changes and uh, random changes that are selected because they provide an advantage, but also uh, has been found recent times that some of these genes are also mutated in human cancer. And this mutation that occurs like a mutation in an oncogene, but you have mutations, for example, in a histomethyltransferase, and this also foster the cellular transformation. 
Are you able to model um, some of the first epigenetic marks that appear in various cancers? And are they similar or is there a lot of heterogeneity in the epigenetic marks as well? So th there is like a common cluster of genes that are frequently methylated across different tumor types. Imagine like a cell cycle inhibitor like P16. So this is inactivated in many tumor types. Imagine a adeno repair enzyme like uh, MGNT. This is inactivated in, in brain tumors, in lymphomas, in colon tumors, etc. But some are very specific. For example, BRC1, that is the famous uh, breast cancer family gene, is inactivated by methylation only in breast and ovarian cancer. And another uh, gene that is involved in DNA repair, MLH1, that is involved in the Lynch syndrome, it's only inactivated by DNA methylation in uh, colon, gastric, and uterine uh, cancer. So there are genes that are more general, lost in cancer by epigenetics, and some that are very cancerous, tumor type specific. For a given cancer, is there a reliable pattern to the epigenetic marks? Do you, you know, again, for a given cancer, do you always tend to see the same epigenetic changes, or is it very variable? I would say that uh, among the different uh, tumor types, there is a common uh, family of set of genes that uh, undergo changes in, in the epigenetic setting, but you have each one has a, a particular uh, change that can define it. If we look, for example, in um, tumors in kids, and uh, some leukemias and, and some uh, sarcomas, they have a very particular epigenetic setting that is not observed in, in adult tumors. For example, there are subtypes of brain tumors in, in childhood that they have a particular point mutation in a histone that is not observed anywhere else. So it only happens in that setting. And vice versa. For example, a lung tumor in a smoker undergoes the name changes that usually we don't see in a, in, young, in a young person, in a tumor in a young person. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Right, but for a given cancer and whether that cancer hits, you know, let's say it only hits adults, how reliable are the epigenetic changes? Do you, you know, do they usually happen the same way or are they very variable? So the, the mechanisms are, are the, the same uh, everywhere. Uh, it, it doesn't matter so much the age, although it, it is true that those tumors that appear very early in life, many times uh, there is, uh, like an, sometimes there is an underlying developmental defect that can drive them. So imagine a, a translocation that involves a histone modifier. And this translocation in part is driving downstream events that involve uh, changes in the epigenetic uh, landscape. Well, if you look longitudinally at epigenetic marks of a tumor, do you see a progression? Yeah. Or if you take a tumor, you know, and you look yeah. at it spatially and you profile the epigenetic marks of the different cells in it, 
Has anyone yeah. done that? What do you see like longitudinally and spatially? So this is a, a very interesting question that we have been addressing in my lab for, for many years. And we have seen that tumors adapt and tumors change to different conditions and they change their profile of, of DNA methylation, for example. When we compare a primary tumor and a met and a metastasis, there is already a 90% imagine of genes that are the same, same profile of epigenetics, but 10% has changed. And they change to adapt because they have to escape the primary site and grow, for example, in the lymph node. Uh, the same can be said when you have a, a tumor. This tumor receives uh, chemotherapy, and then months later, the, or years later, the tumor reappear, relapse, and then we look at DNA methylation and we compare one sample versus the other. You can see that many times they are pretty similar, but they have changed a particular set of genes. And this is the set of genes that is critical for the survival of that tumor. Uh, the, these are the genes that create resistance to that particular drug. So yes, there are changes uh, in the tumors that occurs when they are exposed to different uh, external pressure that can be the generational metastasis, the, the use of radiation, the use of drugs, etc. But for a given tumor, have you been able to, again, map out? If, let's say a tumor is a sphere, it's two centimeters, is making this up. Yes. You, resect it, you resect it with surgery. Has anyone tried to look and say, like, make a 3D model of the tumor and look at the epigenetic marks? What does it look like in the center versus the periphery? Yes, yes. And make that so, map. Have you done so, that? So th this is a question that now is starting to be addressed with the new tools, for example, using uh, single-cell technologies applied to epigenetics. So we can do this for chromatin, and now we're starting to do it for DNA methylation. But it has been done also using uh, not so, not, not so single-cell technology, but, for example, we have shown in the recent past that looking at the, in a given tumor in one patient, that tumor, and selected different parts of the tumor, there are some difference between the parts. 90% of the, of the bulk, of the bulk methylation is the same, but there are 10% different uh, targets. And for example, the, the most external part of the tumor, that, the one that's interacting with the normal microenvironment is the one that shows the most changes. It's pretty interesting that. Oh, so like the outer shell of, let's say, a spherical tumor, is going to be the most changed because that's interacting most with the local microenvironment? Yes, that, that's what we saw in the case of colorectal cancer, uh, that this part that is interacting with the normal tissue is the, is the more uh, different part. Remember, this is the part in theory is growing and has to reach a, an agreement or, or some war with the surrounding tissue. So a lot of chemicals, uh, chemical communication is going on there. It would be difficult, but can you get any idea of longitudinally how a tumor will change epigenetically. Does the change happen, you know, from the outside in, or is it primarily like an outside shell of change? And I mean, what, how, how could you use a model even to look at something longitudinally over, like it's say a month? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. A quantification of what's external, what's internal, to the best of my knowledge, has not been carefully done. What we know is that some of these changes are driving itself by the tumor and some are driving by external pressure. For example, as the tumor advances from a premalignal lesion in cytocarcinoma, uh, stage 1, stage 4, met in the lymph node, met at a distant uh, region, there is an accumulation of events. When you finally reach the most aggressive tumor that has 
uh, escape from the breast cancer has gone to the brain, this is the most different tumor type. And it's the more, dif the more different in the sense that it has accumulated the most higher number of epigenetic aberrations. Okay, so it looks more and more different epigenetically than yeah. it used to. That is not so different that it happened in genetics. It's, it's very similar uh, progression we're seeing here. Have you looked at healthy tissue? In it, you know, the, like the healthy localized tissue in addition to a tumor. Yes. And to see if that's affected as well by, uh, you know, marks. Yeah, some of the of these uh, neighboring tissues and cells has been studied in, uh, in in recent years. And for example, we and others have shown that the fibroblast that surrounds uh, some of uh, lung tumors or colorectal tumors, they undergo some epigenetic uh, changes. Uh, little compared with uh, the ones that undergo the tumor itself, but some are observed there. And it is clear that the fibroblast uh, very close to a cancer or within the cancer at the epigenetic setting is different than the completely healthy fibroblast. Um, what about the localized microbiome around tumors? It would be kind of crazy, but, you know, what if, let's say it's composed of, I don't know, uh, you know, a certain type of bacteria and you know it. And has anyone looked at the bacteria that, again, surround tumors to see if they have been modified, if their DNA, if their genetic material has been modified in some other way? Yeah, so it's, it's, not, it's not so crazy. Uh, so let's say that there are uh, some studies ongoing showing the, the cross-talk between our epigenome and the, uh, and the type of microbiome. And this, this microbiome can be in normal or in cancer, okay? A uh, different question is if, if we change the microbiome of epigenome of bacteria, that is very complex. The epigenome of bacteria is something that uh, is really a nightmare for a scientist, very complicated to study. They're, it's very dynamic, involves many, many different chemical mass that, that we have. But one important, that, and this is relevant right now, is that one epigenome that is, is very relevant is the epigenome of virus, uh, viral epigenomes. And, and here we show also a few times that the virus, like hepatitis B or, or HIV, they are able to change the epigenome of the host cell. But the host cell is also able to change the epigenome of the virus. Again, this is an example of molecular crosstalk between our cells and, in this case, an external agent like a, a viral particle. The epigenome, it alters the efficacy, I would think, and the ability of the virus to, let's say, compromise or take over a cell, you know, like a a cell that has different markings would experience a viral infection differently. But what do you mean you say that they are changing the viral epigenome? Does that mean that a cell, a cancer cell that's infected by a virus versus a non-cancer cell, they would, I guess, lead to the packaging of daughter virions that are different because of the cell's markings or, or how? So imagine the following. Imagine um, a lymphoma. Some lymphomas, some of these lymphomas are related to EBV, Epstein-Barr virus infection, mainly when you have an immune deficiency. And what happened here is that the, the virus itself, it, it has uh, proteins that are able to hijack our uh, epigenetic modifiers. It's able to produce a viral protein that binds to a DNA methyltransferase of the human cell and then brings this DNA methyltransferase to the viral genome and is able to methylate a particular region of the virus. And this can be done, and the reason for this is that in this way, the virus escapes from the immune system, you know, because DNA methylation is like a camouflage for the virus, something that it helps the virus not to be detected by our immune cells. But you would see this only, I guess, in the viral progeny that exit a given cell, or do you see it at other points somehow? 
so, so it's uh, when when they have to to divide, they disappear, and when again when they get incorporated, for example, those get incorporated in the DNA, they acquire the same the same type of epigenetic uh, uh, camouflage. Yeah. So in every round of, of division. It's very interesting. Like, for example, there are studies now in, in HIV, uh, because in HIV, uh, thanks to the research of, of many people, so we have been able to, let's say, tolerate the infection, to control the HIV infection. But uh, we're not able to eliminate completely. So there's always a reservoir of, of virus. This reservoir is there in part because we cannot see it. The immune system cannot see it because you, know, you cannot see it because it has a epigenetic modification that uh, makes the, the antigens undetectable by our, by our system. Okay. And if there's some clinical trials uh, using epigenetic drugs to wake up a little bit the virus and then the, and the retrovirus agent can see the virus and kill the, the virus. And there are several trials now in that area. Oh, there are drugs that change the, the epigenetic marks of a given yeah. cell type? Yeah, and this is not something that is in the, in the books or in the labs. And now, for example, in patients, there are approved nine drugs that are based on epigenetics. These epigenetic drugs, most of them are inhibitors of DNA methylation or are inhibitors of histone deacetylases and there are a couple of inhibitors of histone methyltransferases. They are used mainly in the context of leukemia lymphoma and sarcomas. Now, these are tumors that have a very specific type of epigenetic modifications, and they work uh, pretty well in, in particular subset of these patients. Yeah, and they have been, so this is one of the successes, in fact, of epigenetics is this, that finally, after discoveries by many labs, we have now nine drugs that work in patients, at least for these tumor types. Yeah, that's amazing. So has the, have people done a comparative virome study of a localized yeah. micro microbiome with tumor versus you know healthy tissue in a given organ. So uh, this has been done, for example, mostly in tumors that are associated with virus. For example, in liver carcinoma associated with uh, hepatitis B virus, lymphomas with EBB virus, cervical cancer and head and neck cancer with uh, papilloma virus. And then now there are, um, we started this uh, many years ago in 2009, and following that discovery, now there are hundreds of, of articles dealing with this subject. It's something that some people are starting to use like a biomarker of progression of the disease, of potential progression of cancers associated with virus that's crazy what yeah. um i mean when, once the viruses get uh, epigenetically marked you said they can hide from the immune system better are there any trade-offs that are observed can you even tell you know how does it change the efficacy of a given virus uh, once yes. it's marked there, as you know, there are different stages of the virus, of the life of the virus is very complex. And we know, for example, that people, some people are able to solve the infection, but some people are chronic carriers of a virus, but they do not experiment the disease. And others, and others they have an acute disorder. A lot of, of these changes are associated with a different pattern of, of DNA methylation in some of these virus. And this is a field that really, it's, I would say, it's pretty, pretty exciting also. Yeah, because I would think if you have, um, so then, if in a, you know, during a viral infection, the person would end up with a lot of different variants, I guess, or quasi-species of the virus, because yes. some of the cells that are infected, you know, yeah. epigenetically marked differently, and therefore will produce, like, different viral progenies, so... Very, yes. very, Some very are, are, are more diverse, like as you, as you may know, the H, HBB, uh, sorry, the hepatitis B virus, this is originated a lot of course, species, but some like the papillomas are more stable, you know, this is really one or two clones. That. Does it tend to affect more RNA or uh, DNA viruses? And they, 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 this affects mostly DNA viruses, and mostly oh. those that are able to be integrated in the genome of the host. 
And now that you mentioned this, so talking about the RNA, I just want to briefly point out that, you know, thinking about the future, no, other areas that we like to talk a lot about epigenetics, but uh, for the future, a lot of effort is going to be focused in what we call epitranscriptomics, that are the modifications of RNA. So RNA is another beautiful molecule that can, can be regulated by chemical modifications like DNA. And this is an, another complete universe and now it's starting to explode. What does the epigenetic marks of RNA look like versus DNA? Some of them are very similar. Some, uh, RNA has methylation, okay? But in, in DNA, it's only in the C, in the cytosine, but in RNA, it happens also in the A's, okay? And in the A's, it happens in two flavors, and the, the 1A uh, and the 6A, for example. But also happen in other nucleotides, like in the U's, in the uridine. You can have uridine or pseudouridine, you know? <laughs> and this changes a lot. This changes, for example, the stability of the RNA, the targeting of this RNA to one molecule or the other, the potential to be translated in the ribosome of that RNA or not. Uh, so it's it's an interesting world that we're also exploring. In the, we have been doing this also in the last uh, five years. So inside even normal cells, does mRNA, tRNA, you know, RNAIs, does, does any of that get affected by by marks itself? Yes, and, and there is, again, like epigenetics, there is a good balance. So the, the epitranscriptome of neuron is different of an epitranscriptome of a skin cell. It's characteristic and defines one of the other together with the epigenetics, of course. And in, in, in disease, there is a disbalance. Some of this uh, RNA gain a mark, some lose the mark. For example, we have identified that in, in colon tumors, some colon tumors, they lose a chemical mark uh, in a tRNA, in a transfer RNA, and they have problems producing sets of proteins. And, this, and sets of proteins, these proteins are anti-oncogenes, they are tumor suppressors. So one reason that some tumors, they lose tumor suppressor genes is because they cannot be produced in the ribosomes because the tRNA is not a uh, uh, rally mark. This happened in tRNA, but happened also in ribosomal RNA. How do you think, um, you know, from an epigenetic standpoint, well, cancer starts and then how do you think epigenetic marks start like what do you think the whole cycle looks like oh yes so this is highly complex so uh, it can happen just by random chance the random chance as you know increase if you increase the number of times that you bet okay and this happens as you age as you age in every round of cell cycle division you can uh, introduce an error a mistake imagine a methylated cytosine in a promoter of a cpg island by mistake. And this creates like a cooperative effect. And then you have more and more. And finally, you have dense hypermethylation and silencing. It can also be that you have a toxic, an external toxic. For example, uh, tobacco, uh, the smoking. Tobacco starts changing epigenetics. And it's much later than change genetics. After more prolonged exposition to the drug. And, and this is uh, very interesting because at the beginning, still you can go back. Because methylation is more dynamic. But you finally have acquired the genetic mutations, the chromosomal breakage, is really difficult to go back to a more normal genome. But how do you think literally um, a given mark type happens? Yeah. So, so here, uh, I would say that, that selection is, is one of the, the critical uh, points here. If you are, if I mean, you are... Epigenetics, though, is also a deliberate adaptation. Like if, I, if I'm going to, you know, if I start to go, I don't know if this happens, but if I start to work out like, you know, five days a week, yeah, yeah. I bet you that causes epigenetic markings and changes. Or if I start smoking, but how, do, how do, does anyone know how that happens? So uh, let's say 
there are some things that are very easy to more easy to understand. For example, uh, diet. If you in your diet you eat a lot of the universal methyl donor, S adenosylmethionin, then you have a higher chance to get hypermethylation. Okay, so this is easier. So to imagine, uh, imagine uh, tobacco smoking. Uh, smoking can induce by itself by the comp compounds an adduct in DNA, and this adduct by the DNA repair system is able to attract some methylation there because adducts can attract DNA methylation. This can be in a way to to gain hypermethylation in a tumor suppressor gene. Radiation radiation can create small DNA damage that are able to attract DNA methylation there and to silence it. So there are different, as, as I said, there are different uh, reasons for this. Imagine a mutation, a mutation, a transcription factor, that it's a transcription factor that is not there anymore, so it cannot bind to a promoter. The promoter is completely naked, and then the DNA methyl transferases see the promoter and methylate the promoter. While in normal conditions, because you have a transcription factor protecting that region, should never get methylated. So there are different different examples and possibilities. Does anyone know if there is uh, certain foods that lead to more methylation versus others, like a methylation diet or epigenetic yes. diet? So uh, it is said that uh, a lot of uh, the classical, more healthy, probably less, less tasty foods, like all the lettuce and vegetables, is what they have the higher content of, of, of the methyl donors. As someone ages, what, in general, do people become more epigenetically marked as they age or less yeah. or just differently marked? Yeah. So uh, as we age, we, we did a study about this, studying nonagenarians and centenarians uh, a few years back. So as we age, we start losing DNA methylation everywhere, and this creates an inappropriate transcription profile. Imagine that a lymphocyte can express a gene from the sperm, something so weird like that, because you, you have lost the, the control. And at the same time that you lose overall DNA methylation, you gain methylation in certain sites, a little bit like the cancer, okay? But uh, not so strong like in, in a completely defined established tumor, but it's very similar. You have this loss of DNA methylation, and at the same, at the same time, you have this particular gain at discrete loci of the genome, mainly targeting tumor supersurgy. So theoretically, if you eat certain foods, that could that could somewhat revert your, your uh, epigenetic mark profile back to a healthier state. Yes, uh, this is one possibility. Another possibility is that, uh, of course, in food, sometimes you take to take uh, too much uh, kilos to get the effect. Sometimes this is not good. But there, there are uh, there is a very active lines of research using drugs, drugs that are epigenetic drugs, and to able um, with the aim that they are able to slow down the aging process. These drugs, a lot of them uh, act at the level of histone modification. And uh, in this context, for example, uh, what they are called the sirtuin uh, activators uh, are drugs that are candidates in that area. Sirtuins are one type of histone deacetylases. Um, how, how specific can epigenetic drugs be? What yeah. are the uh, are there knockout effects of yeah. unintended methylation or histone modification? Yeah. The, 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 this is one of the key questions. So the drugs that we have right now they are not uh, very specific. What happens here, for example, in cancer is that the cancer has a, a short window of tolerance for the, these drugs, uh, while normal cells, they have a more wider uh, window, so they can resist better any toxic effect. These epigenetic drugs, they are not given a, like a high level. They are given a, lo a low level for a long time. If you receive uh, usually chemotherapy in, in one day, these are given, imagine, for two, three weeks, but a very low dose. And then you're able to restore activity of the genes 
that were silenced without destroying so much the epigenetic setting of the remaining cells. Hmm. It would be nice the higher the specificity they have, the better. It would be nice, but people have tried for many years. They're able to do this in cells, in mice, in organoids, but to make this jump to the patients is complicated because it will require something similar to gene therapy that, as you know, until very recently in the case, in the case of CAR cells in leukemia has not worked. So it's something that uh, in the labs work, but uh, for patients, this specific therapy epigenetic is not so good. It's more in specific, but it's, it's working in leukemias, subtype leukemia, lymphoma, sarcoma. One important thing here is that we, we like to do is that instead of doing a more specific therapy, finding a more specific patient the patient that is the great responder to the drug. These patients, for example, are patients that have a particular set of mutations or particular set of epigenetic changes that when you give the drug, they are highly uh, responsive because they cannot survive with that chemical mark. And we're in, in this process of this. This is called uh, pharmacoepigenetics, and it's also uh, another booming discipline. So what are, what are some questions that you're researching that you're trying to answer? So the, the questions uh, that we like to answer is, to have a, a complete profile of all the epigenetic changes that are, are going on in, ca in cancer cells and also in other disorders. We have pollution, for example, in uh, neurodegenerative diseases, for example. Uh, the second is to use this knowledge to, um, to deliver better biomarkers that are able to predict the outcome of the disease or to select better therapies. Therapies that can be epigenetic or not, but using the epigenome like a biomarker of response to, to drugs. And the third one is, is the, the development of new drugs. For example, we have recently identified an, a new inhibitor of a histone deacetylase, number six, that works very well in a subtype of a B lymphoma. And it's something that we do at the preclinical stage. And in this case, now it's in, in clinical trials. So this, these three lines of research, I will say, the, the discovery of the complete uh, changes that are happening in the vision of cancer cells, the use of biomarkers, and the development of drugs are the three main uh, areas that we do in, in my lab. Okay. Um, one, one quick question. Are you able to tell um, if there's crosstalk between primary tumors and metastases? Because you mentioned there's crosstalk between uh, tumors and the localized microbiome, which is interesting, and viruses. But uh, again, do you see this kind of communication, primary to metastases or vice versa? Yeah, so we're not exploring so much that. So we're comparing the primary versus the metastasis to see what are the difference. And the metastasis in the leaf node or the, the metastasis in a distant region like the brain or, or a bone. Uh, the cross-communication that can happen using exosomes or other molecules is something that we're not doing in the lab. But there is, for, for sure, there can be some type of communication. But even in the same tumor, you can experiment changes. Uh, for example, the epithelial to mesenchymal transition, this called EMT, these are a tumor that it looks epithelial and in, in the natural history now became mesenchymal, you know, due to epigenetic changes. And we have studied something also pretty new that is called transdifferentiation. And this is a tumor type that became another tumor type. For example, acute lymphoblastic leukemia or became an acute myeloleukemia. And this is something that this leukemia does to escape from the use of the drug. It changes completely the epigenetic setting without changing the genetics, the DNA is the same, but changes epigenetics to escape the efficacy of the drug. Uh, yeah, and it, it becomes like another tumor type. In this case, it was an ALL and now it's an AML. This happened in other, in other places. A prostate adenocarcinoma can become a prostate neurocarcinoma because it changes the epigenetic setting. 
can you tell if you look at um i don't know if you have any situations where a primary tumor and metastases have been either biopsied or resected and um can you tell that a metastasis came from a primary or let's say you were able to get like two or three different metastases could you tell yeah. that one came before another yeah. do you, does, does one metastasis lead to another to another and what's the order of uh, of production of them yeah, you can that you can do that type of as you mentioned can be this, this type of deconvolution experiment and has been done you, and then you're able to elaborate a natural history of the metastasis using DNA methylation uh, has been done with other markers but uh, your question also may relate to another clinical situation that we, we have provided at least one answer and this in oncology there's something that's called cancer of unknown primary. And these are patients that they have metastasis, but the medical doctor is unable to find the primary site where it came from. And we have elaborated a tool that using DNA methylation, because DNA methylation is so good to define cell and tumor type, that it's able to say, the sample that you gave me, when I do the epigenetic profiling, it looks like a pancreatic cancer. So the, in, the primary tumor is in the pancreas. And this is now applied for these particular clinical cases. Oh, and then does the doctor go back and look and do yes. imaging and they yeah. find it? Then they go carefully to look. Okay, I was not thinking about the pancreas. And they go there in the pancreas, etc. For example, cases, real cases from, from the hospitals. So a, a patient that has a metastasis and, and, and when we do the analysis, we say that this met came from a breast cancer, but it was a male. And males, of course, the medical oncologists never think about male breast cancer. And then when we say the from the molecular standpoint that this is a breast cancer, they go back to that, to that, to that person, to that male, and are able to find a breast cancer in that male, for example. Well, that's pretty useful. Yeah, this is useful. This is one of the, the first applications that we had with DNA methylation. The other application that it's uh, used in hospitals around the world is that for a particular um, type of, of brain tumor, um, in gliomas, the silencing by DNA methylation of a DNA repair enzyme is used to decide the therapy. And this is within, is within the, all the algorithms that medical doctors use around the world. Have you looked at uh, tumors after chemotherapy? What does chemotherapy do to... Uh you know, the range of epigenetic marks. Yes, um, we have done that. So epigenetics changes uh, the tumor at different levels, cell composition, genetics, transcription, and of course, epigenetics. It usually, if the tumor relapses, what it creates is it changes the profile to become resistant to the drug. Uh, one example, a tumor that is sensitive, a breast tumor that is sensitive to drugs that they are called PARP inhibitors, and they are sensitive because the gene BRC1 is methylated. If the tumor reappears, now that the gene is not methylated and has changed, and this creates resistance to the drug. So it's something that uh, it's, 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 it's being done now, and we're recognizing that DNA methylation participate in this creation of resistance upon the use of drugs. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't mention this, but, but sorry. But uh, an important aspect is that epigenetics also participate in immunotherapy. And we shouldn't forget this because uh, all these immune checkpoint inhibitors, uh, they act if they see antigens in the tumors. And the regulation of these antigens many times is, is done by DNA methylation. So now there are clinical trials combining, for example, an epigenetic drug and immune checkpoint inhibitor just to increase, to booster the, the immune response of that uh, given tumor. Oh, okay. It's so complicated, but very interesting. Yeah, no, but the immune now it has a, a very direct relation with epigenetics. But immunity is even more complicated than epigenetics. Yeah, uh, they all work together. 
Yeah. Well, very good. What What do you expect? Uh, I mean, do you expect any breakthroughs in the next year or so, or it's just an ongoing process? And yeah, who knows? So, so some of the breakthroughs if, can be in, in three in three lines. One is if we use these new technologies, then now we're able to to implement like single cell technologies. They will provide answers that until now we have done in a very gross manner that in studying bulk samples. Single cells probably provide a lot of answers in the epigenetic fields. The, se- the second is the use of big data. Even in the last years, uh, we have done that, and many other people have done that. I would say this is, going, this is a growing trend. People are starting to analyze in detail DNA methylation in the context of multiomics, and altogether provide more sense of, of why tumors are, be- are behaving like that and how can we attack them. And the other is, as you mentioned, maybe it's more specific drugs, the drugs that are able only to target this particular modification. Hopefully, this will be linked to cell therapies, uh, delivering these particular epigenetic modifications. It's something that hopefully, this last one, we will not see it this year, but hopefully in the coming years, we'll see these more, more specific epigenetic therapies. Okay, very good. So, Manel, where can people go to find out more about your work? So they, they can find uh, in, in our webpage at the Josep Carreras Institute, at the IJC there, uh, just looking for my name there. And, and some of our last discoveries also are in, are in Twitter. Uh, and you can find also some of there. Uh, I, I recommend uh, lectures uh, or reading some of, of the reviews that we have done in this area. And I'm pretty easy to find uh, there by internet. Anybody has any question, please, uh, they can ask me straight to my, to my email. Okay, very good. Manel, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.